Well, now we'll turn to God's Word and hear the Lord speak to us there. And we're going to do something a little different this morning. Uh, those of you who are here regularly will know that typically we will have a single passage, and I'll try and open that up and explain the meaning of the passage, what it means for us, and so on. Um, but this morning I'm going to have my wife read a handful of short passages, and all of these passages focus on a particular topic, which I hope you'll pick up on as they are read, and have everything to do with why we're here this morning. So it's, um, I was going to have maybe read all the addresses to you, but I don't think that's necessary. She's just going to read the passages. So, okay, so. It's a guessing game. You guys have to tell me what chapter is in this room. I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world. We love because he first loved us. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thank you. Thank you. Patterns can be found everywhere in our world. From honeycombs in a bee's hive, to the tides in the oceans, to the seasons and the cycles, to the revolutions of the planets and the stars, to animals and migrations and their mating, in our own bodies, in music and in art, in speech and grammar and in diction and math and in logic, everywhere we can see order, cycles, patterns. We see from these things and many others there is an order to things. Have you ever seen water flow upwards or the sun rise in the west? Have you ever seen life come from non-life? The world operates in a certain way, in certain patterns and cycles. Parents, grandparents, you know that children thrive in routines. They thrive when there's a predictable order to the days and the weeks. When you wake at a certain time and go to bed at a certain time, eat, eat at a certain time, not saying this is easy, right? But when good behavior is rewarded and bad behavior is disciplined, 
rhythms, routines, order are good for children. And it's good for all of us, right? Our work life, too, is no different. We need a rhythm of work and of rest. Eating habits, sleeping habits, and so on are very important. We cannot function in an atmosphere of chaos or where things are not at least somewhat predictable. We were made this way. The God that made the heavens and the earth and that made us is telling us something about himself in all of these things. There are other patterns, too, that we would do well to take note of that are maybe not as intuitive patterns that we often forget. And there's just one of those that I wish to speak about for a moment this morning. And these are what we might call the patterns of real love. Those passages that Megan read for us a few moments ago reveal some things about love, about its nature, about what it is and what it is not. You see, we like to talk a lot about love these days, but I'm concerned that, quite frankly, we don't know what in the world we're talking about. Today we use that word in a way that is actually the direct opposite of what it actually means. This is not the first time this has happened. In fact, there are many words that have changed meaning over time. I'll give you a few examples. This is really fascinating, by the way. If you were to you know, go to your search engine and type in words that have changed meaning over time, you get some really interesting things. Here's a few examples. The word awful. In Old English, awe meant to fear or to have terror or dread towards something. Eventually, this shifted to something like, like that's awesome or, or something like wonder or amazement. Eventually, it took on a more negative meaning and came to mean extremely bad. That's awful. Something very different than what it meant some time ago. Or take the word cute as another example. An article I was reading this week said that originally this came from a shortened form of the word acute, which meant sharp or quick-witted. However, in the early 1800s in America, it came to mean something like attractive or pretty. Take also, this is interesting, the word nice. Nice is another example of a word that has changed quite dramatically over time. I read that the word nice derived from a Latin word that means ignorant. (laughs) So it began as a word that meant something like stupid or foolish. Eventually it became began to refer to someone who was finely dressed or maybe someone who was shy. Today, it refers to someone who is polite or refined. Again, very different than what it was some years ago. And I believe that something similar is happening with our idea of love. Of course, we could talk about love in many different ways, and even the Bible talks about love in many different ways But I'm kind of referring to the street-level word that we throw around all the time. Today, love has come to be more about ourselves. It's come to be focused on what we want or what we like 
or on approval. If someone loves you today, it means they approve of you. They like you. They support you. This is the sort of street level idea of love. But that is certainly not the love that the scriptures speak of. And that is not the love that Jesus lived out. And what we remember today in his dying and rising again. In fact, the love that Christ lived out was very different from the love that is so often spoke of all around us today. This love of Jesus was something in particular. It wasn't whatever someone wanted it to be. It wasn't a blob of jello to be shaped and molded and made to fit any kind of container that you would put it in. This love was a particular something with a particular pattern and particular characteristics because the God that real love flows from is a particular way with a particular character and attributes. And so much of our world is starving for this love and does not have it. A great trick has been foisted on people today and many are suffering because of it, I'm afraid. Let's imagine that over time, our food was changed. Some of you are thinking, well, it has been. <laughs> um, we were, let's imagine that we were served food that tasted delicious, but was actually not food. Maybe it was some kind of filler or a material that resembled the texture and feel of food, smelled like food, but was actually something else. And every day, here we are eating and eating it, and we still feel hungry and undernourished. Eventually, we begin to wonder, what's going on? Why am I feeling so bad? I'm eating all this food, yet I'm still hungry and don't feel well. Well, it's because someone has tricked us. We've been given something called food that's not food, right? And just because it's called food doesn't mean it is. Again, some of you are thinking, yeah, that's right. That's a lot of the food we eat today. But labels, my point is, labels can be very misleading, right? And that is precisely what is happening in our world today with love. Many are full of something and speaking of something, calling it love, but it is not, in fact, love. It's something else, something very different entirely, because so much of our love today is not modeled or doesn't resemble the love we see in God. You see, God's love is so very different than the imposter that is masquerading out there today. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about this morning. I want to talk about real love and what we see in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. So here's the big idea, as I like to call it, that I want to try and convey. Since love has a particular pattern, particular rhythm and, and attributes, it is a particular way, right? And it's revealed to us in Jesus. We must live by that same pattern and way if we are to truly love each other, right? That's the simple idea. This is the way Jesus loved. If we want to love, we have to love that way and not other ways and then call it love, which is what we tend to do today. So when we talk about patterns, what we're talking about are things that repeat over and over again. A pattern can be a web of many different threads 
But those threads repeat. The elements that make up the pattern reoccur over and over again. Any of you who crochet or knit here will know all about that. You can use many different threads that look different, but they're woven together in some kind of a, of a pattern. And love is like this. It has many elements, but those elements are things that we see over and over again. This is demonstrated in a beautiful way in the children's book, The Giving Tree. Any of you all familiar with The Giving Tree, that book? Felicia, you can pull up uh, that book there. Yeah. Shel Silverstein. In the mid-1960s, it was published. The book follows the lives of an apple tree and a boy. The boy and the tree become friends, as it were, and develop a bond. And throughout the entire story, the tree is very giving, hence the giving tree. But as the boy grows up, he becomes selfish and evolves into a more taking kind of person, a teenager, and then a middle-aged man, and finally an elderly man in the end. At each stage of life, the boy comes to the tree in need of something, which the tree provides happily. Even when it's very costly, the tree gives him various parts of himself to benefit the boy. For example, he gives him his apples. I think it starts with shade, gives him shade. And then it goes to apples and then it goes to um, the apples are for the uh, boy to go out and sell and make money. And then it goes to he gives him some branches to build a house and so on. And eventually he gives him his trunk so that the boy can build a boat. And at the end of each stage, it says that the tree was happy. He was happy to give in this way. The very end of the book, the boy returns to the tree as an old man. And by this point, the tree is just a stump. And the tree tells him it's sad because it cannot provide him shade or apples or any of the materials that he did in the past. But the boy tells the tree that those things are not useful to him anymore and that all he wants is a quiet place to sit and rest. He's an old man now want to sit and rest and of course the tree is happy to oblige giving the boy all he can even at the end of his life a place to sit and rest and it says that the tree was happy and that's right that's right silverstein was on to something in that story because contrary to what everyone seems to believe today real abiding and lasting happiness is in giving not in taking. The tree in the end who had given away everything was the one who was truly content and happy. And this is one of the patterns of real love. Love is sacrificial, self-giving. It gives of itself even when it's costly and hard. It pours itself out for others. And that's point number one. Point number one, since Jesus, because Jesus lived this way, Jesus revealed that love is sacrificial. We must sacrifice for others if we are to truly love them. That's point number one. And this is precisely what we see in Jesus. In a number of those verses that Megan read a few moments ago, we see sacrifice. We see Jesus giving certain things up for the good of others. First Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich in heaven, he left infinite wealth, perfect security, every good thing we can imagine. He left it, yet for our sake became poor so that us, by his poverty, might become rich in him. That's love. I think one thing that often escapes us when we think about what Jesus did is the reality of what's called the incarnation. The incarnation refers to um, Jesus being the eternal God, taking on flesh, coming into our world. That the eternal God would leave the comforts, the joy, the security, the happiness, the fellowship of heaven to come down here to us. I don't think we grasp the magnitude of what that means. It cost Jesus something to be here with us. Yet he did it for us. That's one of the attributes of love. Amy Carmichael, a well-known British woman, or no, Irish maybe, I believe, Irish, well, gave her life away to go to India for, I don't know, what, 40 plus years or something like that rescued uh, girls out of really, really tough circumstances. She once famously said, you can give without love, but you cannot love without giving. And I think that's exactly right. Love gives at a cost to itself. And we see that in the Lord Jesus. That's point number one. Point number two I want to make this morning about love. We could go on and on and on. There's a million points we could make about love. I just want to make three simple ones this morning. And the second one is this. Since Jesus revealed that love is also truthful, we must live in the truth if we are to love like Jesus. So we see that love is self-sacrificial, gives of itself, but love is also filled with the truth. It is also truth-filled. Another thing that is often lost on us when it comes to Jesus is that Jesus was a man of truth. Jesus was killed for a reason, right? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago here. I think we have this idea in our head that Jesus was, you know, the guy in town everybody liked and was the, you know, the local nice guy and softy that everybody, you know, just wanted to be buds with. No, Jesus was a man of truth and he spoke that truth even when it was risky and dangerous and hard. And he was killed for it ultimately for some of his claims. Today's version of love, the love that is so often spoken of in the world is actually an enemy of the truth. It silences the truth and it is easily offended. It says you can't speak truth because it bothers me in the name of love, which is totally backwards. Love receives the truth, embraces the truth, welcomes the truth. It does not silence it. Scripture says real love rejoices with the truth. When you look at the Bible, you will read things like this. King David, the man after God's own heart, once wrote these words. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. This is the way Jesus lived his life. The man of truth, love incarnate, was also a man of great truth. He says, I am the truth, right? I'm the way, the truth, the life, Jesus said. Truth is not opposed to love, and love is not opposed to truth. And here's the hard thing that you and I need to get our minds around. We cannot accept the love of God 
if we will not accept the truth of God. God says to each and every one of us here this morning, you've sinned. I've sinned. He says this to me. And you're dead in your sins. And you are separated from me because of your sins, God says to everyone in here. Not a single person in here or online escapes this truth. This is truth. God tells us we cannot have a relationship with him because we've committed treason against him, the king, and we deserve eternal death. He's a perfect, holy God. And he has to judge sin. Otherwise, he wouldn't be righteous. He wouldn't be holy. And we're all sinners, which means we must be cast out of his presence. That's the truth. And all of us, if we're honest in here, when you look in the mirror, you know it. You know you have fallen short. And we also know there's nothing we can do about it. We spend our lives sometimes trying to make up for it because we feel a guilty conscience and we try and do things to make it right somehow. But there's nothing you and I can do. There's no amount of money we can pay. No favors we can do for God. We can't work to make up for what we've done. That's the truth. Imagine you go to the doctor and you receive a terrible diagnosis. The kind of diagnosis nobody wants to get. Let's imagine. The doctor says you've got cancer and you're going to die. But there's a treatment that I can give you that will save your life. But you have to act now and you have otherwise you have no chance of surviving this. You're given you're at a crossroads, right? And you've got to do something. You can either accept the diagnosis, the bad news, and then at the same time receive the good news and go forward with the treatment and be saved. Or you can reject the doctor's diagnosis and take your chances. Those are your choices, basically. But none of us would say, given what we've just heard, I know there's a lot more factors in this, but given just what I've shared with you, none of us would say that the doctor was unloving for sharing that diagnosis, would we? Unloving would be to ignore it. To say, "Mm, I didn't see anything. Your scan looks fine. Your blood works good. No, the doctor spoke truth, which was very hard to hear and painful, but necessary. And then after receiving that tough truth that was given in love, you can also receive the good news that there is a treatment. There is a cure. Right? That's how it works. But you cannot appreciate and receive the good news without first receiving the painful truth. This is the way it is with love. Love rejoices in the truth. It doesn't reject it just because it's hard. Or does it not share it because it's hard? It's not easily offended by it. It receives it, acknowledges it, accepts it, and speaks it. Love's words are trustworthy and faithful. And when they're not, they acknowledge that and confess it and correct it. The truth is honored and upheld when we are walking in love. 
This is another pattern that we see in real love is an appreciation, a respect for, an honoring, receiving and sharing of the truth. That's point number two. And again, there's so much we could say about love this morning. Could go on and on. As I was thinking about this, I was torn with what more to say. But I just got one more point for you this morning. And that's this. Since Jesus revealed that love comes from God, we must know God if we are to truly love others. Okay? Real love comes from God. This is what John said in that reading. 1 John 4 says, you can't love if you don't know God. You might call it love. You might think you are, feel that you are, but you're not. Point number three, since Jesus revealed that love comes from God, we must know God if we are to truly love others. I'm just going to read it for you. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God was sent, or God sent His only Son into the world. We love because He first loved us. The resurrection of Jesus was God's stamp of approval on all that Christ did. It was the Father's amen to the Son's final words, it is finished. On Good Friday, Jesus uttered those words, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. This work that he came to do, this thing that he came to accomplish for his people. By raising Jesus from the dead, the Father was showing everyone that this is what love looks like. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and given himself for us. The resurrection shows us that sin and death have truly been defeated. And that forgiveness is offered to all in Jesus' name. To all who come to him by faith and repentance. That just like Jesus, if we believe in him, we will live even though we die. If you have yet to profess faith in Jesus and put your trust in him, let this morning be the moment. Do not delay. I'm that doctor here. And I'm saying you're sick and you need a cure. This is the only cure there is. Don't delay. You're at a crossroads. Hear that tough news. Receive it. Believe the gospel and be saved. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes again, there will be no longer any more time to repent and turn. Today's the day. The door is open now, but it's closing. It won't always be open. Run to Christ. Believe on Him and be saved. And when you come, this love that I've tried to speak of very briefly, there's so much more we could say. This love that I've tried to speak of just briefly here, it will begin to flood your heart and your life. This self-sacrificial, truth-filled love will become a pattern in your life. It will be there, be present, and you will see it everywhere. Yes, it will be a struggle. doesn't mean it's easy, but it will be a recurring theme and part of your life. Jesus said in John 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. The resurrection is good news for you and me because it means that by faith, 
we can be united to the one who gives, uh, who lives right now, sorry, in heaven. The one who is there. He's not in the grave. He's in heaven, living, reigning, alive. We can be united to the one who conquered death. To the one who gives us this abundant life. And to the one who is the very essence of true love. And brought that love down to show us what it's like. We can be united to that capital L, loving, capital O, one. You and I. Do you know Jesus? Many of you do, no doubt. Do you know him? If you'd like to know more about Jesus, I'm just going to be right up here after the service for a few minutes. If you'd like to talk or pray, I'd be happy to do that with you. But that's what the Lord laid on my heart to share with you this morning. This is love right here on the cross. This is what it looks like. Receive it, embrace it, and live it. Amen.